Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency, all things homesteading, and about how we can reduce the gap between our consumption and our production. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 281 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. Today, we are going to be talking about a self-sufficient Christmas dinner. We're taking a pause from our DIY series that I've been doing every Monday because it is Christmas time and I don't want to... There's, there's too many things, basically, that I want to cover and talk about over the Christmas period that I can't squeeze them all in on our Friday show. So I'm going to pause our DIY series, which will be back in the new year and we're going to talk a little bit about Christmassy stuff and here in the UK we don't have a Thanksgiving period we don't have that holiday I know if you're in the US you're right in the middle of your two big holidays but here in the UK at least it's just Christmas is the big one and uh, I think now I'm recording this on well I'm recording this on the day it's going to go out on Monday the 13th of December so week and a half almost two weeks to go until Christmas and we really are focused fully on that here at the self-sufficient hub homestead so we're going to be talking about a self-sufficient Christmas dinner and we would generally in the UK have a turkey as our Christmas dinner so we're going to talk all about how you can go about planning a completely self-sufficient Christmas dinner we're going to talk kind of based around the rules of my September challenge but we're also going to talk about some more lenient ways we can be self-sufficient and just some ideas about how being that we can be slightly more self-sufficient with our Christmas dinner. Now, when we have our Christmas dinner here, we actually have it on Christmas Eve. We have a big get-together here, and I'm usually cooking for around 20. It's going to be reduced numbers this year. I think it's only about 11 that I'm cooking for this year, but it's usually around 20. And I have to say, it's it's ridiculously rewarding and gratifying when I put things on the table and say, well, that's from the garden, that's from the garden, that's from the garden. It's, uh, you know, a fantastic, really, really nice feeling. And, you know, that was made from scratch, that was made from scratch, that wasn't out of a packet. And, uh, yeah, it really does make all the difference to, well, my satisfaction and my feeling on the day. And I think, I genuinely think that my guests enjoy it as well, knowing where all that stuff has come from. So we're going to start with the the basic stuff. We're going to start with the vegetables. We have loads of vegetables on offer on our Christmas dinner. And there are a couple that we really only eat at Christmas or around Christmas. Those are parsnips and Brussels sprouts. They're two veggies that aren't really big favourites with my family. But they are ones that we have traditionally every Christmas dinner. We have some parsnips that we cook in the oven and uh, obviously Brussels sprouts just lightly boiled. So Brussels sprouts, they're a long season vegetable, so you want to get them in in the spring really to be harvesting now. So we're thinking about our Christmas dinner all year round, really. You know, when I was planting our Brussels sprout seeds back in May or whenever it was, the only reason I was planting them was for our Christmas dinner. So they're in the ground. They're all ready to be harvested. And parsnips, not quite such a long turnaround on those, but they do tend to sort of 
die off when the frosts come. They're a summer vegetable, a main crop vegetable, but they will sit quite happily in the ground. So we're about to dig ours up now and bring them in. But they're another vegetable that will absolutely store in a root cellar, just like potatoes and carrots and things like that will store for a very long time. So again, we just cook our, our parsnips in the oven. We cook them in a little bit of our rendered pork fat with maybe a little bit of honey on top and away you go. So that's all self-sufficient parsnips and Brussels sprouts. Next up carrots. We will have some carrots and swede. We'll have them mashed up together which is a wonderful addition to the plate on any roast dinner at this time of year. Now carrots same as parsnips they will the plant will die off as soon as the frosts come but they will sit quite happily in the ground for a little while longer and we've got a handful of carrots that we've saved ready to come in specifically for our Christmas dinner and swede that's a fairly long crop we planted that one I think it would be our sort of second round of main sowings maybe in June May around that time and they are just now at the size where we're harvesting them and they're a fantastic winter vegetable speaking of another vegetable that we will definitely have on our plates is leek. I absolutely love leek and it's another overlooked vegetable by a lot of people who are just growing for that summer crop. They're a vegetable that we're harvesting now and we planted I think about 150 leeks something like that of which I maybe had 80 make it to full size and it's been a weird weird year for leeks not just here I've heard of other people as well just not having a huge success with their leeks all of our leeks are a little bit smaller than they were last year but we've still got plenty out there to see us through the winter so leeks will definitely be on the table and of course squash so whatever squash you grew whether it's pumpkins or butternut squash or in this household it was uh, honey boat squash we grew this year they will keep for months and months and months I've mentioned it several times it's one of the reasons I actually love growing them because they they come out the ground ready preserved you just leave them somewhere cool and dry and they will sit quite happily for months so we'll be having squash as well on the table as well as our final veg this year is going to be cabbage because we've got lots of cabbage that really struggled through the summer but they've come good in the winter and uh, yeah we've got lots of cabbage ready to harvest so those are our vegetables that are going to be on our plate with one notable exception obviously our roast potatoes now we're actually not going to be self-sufficient in potatoes this year at Christmas we are going to have to buy some and that's because of the blight that we had now we had a fantastic crop of main crop potatoes in the summer and that's what I was eating in my September challenge. All we started before September, but they went all through September, October, November. And we still have about five or six left that are going to be used at some point this week. And then we're on to shop-bought potatoes for the rest of the year. But if we hadn't had the blight, my plan was to plant a second sowing. Once the first lot of potatoes came out the ground, plant a second lot, which are basically Christmas potatoes. Or probably plant them before the first lot came out the ground to be fair and they would be in the ground ready to harvest right about now which would have been perfect to take over from our summer potatoes and if you plan your sowings and your storage correctly you could be self-sufficient in potatoes all year round if you sow your 
early potatoes for you know coming out the ground in june at the earliest if you're lucky probably july then from then on you're going to be having your main crop potatoes and if you sow enough and store them correctly again that root cellar type storage somewhere cool and dry with some airflow they're going to be able to store right through to now as ours have by which time your winter potatoes could be ready if you sow them just before the first lot come out of the ground at some point in late July, August, I would think, possibly even early September, depending on where you are in the world, you could get a crop of potatoes ready to come out the ground in time for Christmas, hence calling them Christmas potatoes. And again, if you sow enough of them and store them well, you can have them right through until your next crop are ready. Although that is a bit of a stretch, a bit of hard work there, I will admit, because they're not necessarily going to store quite as well as the varieties that you would grow for your main crop potatoes. Right, so that's all our vegetables and potatoes on the plate. What's next? Well, let's talk about pigs in blankets. Now, of course, to be completely self-sufficient in this, you're going to have to be raising your own pigs, as we do. But we have got plenty of sausage meat still in the freezer and lots and lots of home-cured streaky bacon. But if you're not raising your own pigs, you can still make your own pigs in blankets, whether you're just simply buying the sausages and buying the streaky bacon and wrapping them up or whether you're going to buy some belly pork and cure your own bacon which is incredibly easy i've done an episode on that i'm sure and i've certainly done a youtube video on it it's really really simple to make your own bacon and then you're 90 percent of the way there to making your own pigs in blankets perhaps you want to have a go at making your own sausages this year you don't have to have your own pig to do that you can simply buy the sausage meat and add your own ingredients and spices whatever you want to it and buy some sausage casing and uh, have a go at making your own sausage meat if you've got a mincer or you can even make your own sausage meat by buying, you know, those cheaper cuts of pork, the off cuts. If you speak to the butcher, I'm sure that he will be able to help you out and point you in the right direction. You can make your own sausage meat. So it's not always a case of going to the extreme of what I did in September. And, you know, it isn't for me either. Absolutely not. It's just a case of, as I've spoken about before, just going that one step further, that one step further down the chain, down the food chain, if you like, the production and, uh, you know, supply chain and thinking, well, how many steps were there in making this? Or maybe I can do the last one myself. Maybe I could do the last two. Maybe I could do the last four. And, uh, you know, having a go yourself. It's not about creating work for yourself. It's about creating an amazing product that just is that little bit more rewarding, that little bit nicer and, and more artisanal and tailored to your family's needs so you know do have a go at some of those things don't feel that if you can't go 100% of the way you can't go anywhere at all that's really really not what I'm about not at all so next up the uh, the centerpiece is a turkey now if you want to raise your own turkeys you can buy what's called poults which are the young birds the juveniles you want to buy them around April time really and let them Live with you for the rest of the year and uh, fatten up nicely for Christmas and then you can process them yourself. But if you don't want to go that far, you could just 
find somewhere that grows them locally because even if you aren't interested in raising and slaughtering your own meat perhaps you can still have a thought to the food miles that go into it and just be a little bit more connected to where your food comes from by you know getting to know the person who is rearing them going and looking at where they're growing and the difference can be quite astounding in the actual quality of the bird you get you know it's a massively different thing getting a sort of generally a, a heritage breed turkey will be the ones you see wandering around happily in fields rather than the broiler versions which are the ones that end up in the supermarket more often than not and you know having a happy healthy bird tastes different it really really does and if you're going to find someone who grows them locally then perhaps you might want to think about buying next year's bird because you can then perhaps be even more involved in that sort of process so you can find out when they're getting them in and go and see them when the the young birds have arrived and buy next year's bird then or you know some way connect yourself with that process of producing the food that you're going to eat on Christmas day but if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, then perhaps you're not going to be, well, obviously you're not going to be eating a turkey, but you're probably not going to be eating any of the big joints of meat that we consider to be the centerpiece, us meat eaters, of our roast dinner, our Christmas dinner. Perhaps you're going to make a nut roast. Well, then you really are opening a whole world of self-sufficiency up to yourself because you know two of the main ingredients in a lot of nut roasts will be nuts and mushrooms well these are things that we can of course forage for you can go out foraging if you're in the uk right now it's a great time to go out and look for hedgehog fungus so if you're in the uk and you're thinking i might get into a bit of foraging but you're not sure where to start with regards to mushroom if you mushrooms if you find them a bit daunting Hedgehog fungus are a fantastic one to start with at this time of year. They are amazing. They are really, really tasty. They, they tick the four main boxes that I always talk about for novice mushroom hunters. You want them to be A, edible. You want them to be B, really, really easy to identify. You want them to be C, abundant. You don't want to be searching for a mushroom that, you know, a really experienced mushroom forager is only going to find once every two or three years. And then the last one is you want them to be delicious. And hedgehog fungi tick all of those boxes. They're a really great fungus. They are if not my favourite, certainly one of my top two or three mushrooms that I forage for. So that could make up a decent part of your nut roast. And of course, the rest, herbs and things out the garden. Perhaps you're going to use some butter in it. If you've got a milking animal, you can make your own butter really easily. And even if you don't, you can try your hand at making butter. It's again, one of those really, really easy things to do. Just separate some cream off put it in a jam jar, put the lid on and shake the life out of it for five or ten minutes and you've made butter. It couldn't be any simpler. It really, really couldn't. The last thing that will be going on our table is something I'd never made before until September and that is stuffing. And I was amazed at how simple it is to make. And you quite possibly have got all the ingredients you need to make your own stuffing already. We like sage and onion stuffing. So two large components are in the name. So we're going to want lots of onions chopped up really, really finely. Lots of sage out the garden. Sage is a, an amazing herb. I absolutely love it. it 
It's really robust, it's a perennial, it gets really big, it doesn't need much looking after, and it's just there whenever you want it. So sage and onions, then you're gonna want some breadcrumbs. Again, it's all about thinking, can I go one step down the supply chain? So perhaps you wanna make your own breadcrumbs out of your own bread. Perhaps you wanna make breadcrumbs out of shop-bought bread. Perhaps you wanna buy breadcrumbs. It's all about going one step further than you otherwise might. But Perhaps you've got your own sourdough and you're going to make breadcrumbs out of that. How amazing and delicious that's going to be. And, uh, you know, you basically just fry off the onions a little bit. You don't want to overcook them just until they go translucent and then bang everything else in the pan. Mix it all together with whatever herbs and spices you might want to add, some salt and pepper, and then mix it all together. Let it cool off, which is a mistake I made in September the first time I made it. I didn't let it cool off before I added a few whisked up eggs to sort of bind it, uh, but let it cool off, put them eggs in there, whisk, whisk, it, up, well, whisk it up and uh, boom, you've got stuffing which you can put in your bird or make balls out of and cook separately however you want. Of course, these are just the things that I'm going to be doing or that we're having at Christmas. Your choice is far, far wider than that I am mentioning. Perhaps you can find some locally sourced pheasant from a shoot. Perhaps you have access to venison or something else from the wild larder. There's a lot of choice out there and it really is down to everyone where they go. But uh, what I'm trying to get across is that there are options here for making your your Christmas dinner that little bit more self-sufficient. And I haven't even mentioned gravy yet. Now, Stocks are something I'm really, really more and more passionate about all the time. I think making your own stock is just, again, like everything else I've spoken about, really, really re rewarding, but also gives you that choice, that ability to play around with things. We've got bottles and bottles of stock in the freezer. Every time I cook a joint, we save the the juices that come from it. Every time we cook a meal, we would, particularly with poultry, we would save the carcass and make stocks from the bones and uh, less so with the pork bones, but that's not because they're no good for it. It's because the dogs get them. So, but when it comes to poultry, we definitely make lots of stock. And then once you've got that really lovely thick stock, then uh, all you've really got to do is add some corn flour to it and you've got gravy. Perhaps you want to add a little bit of wine to your stock, which again is something you could make yourself. Homemade wine or homemade cider if you're making a lighter sauce, a lighter gravy. Perhaps some cider would go lovely in it, some reduced down cider. Or wine is a fantastic addition to many, many of my sauces, depending on what I'm pairing them with. So, like I say, you really are spoilt for choice. And for all of us, it's about getting the balance right between the amount of effort involved, the amount of reward, and what our values are, what we enjoy doing, you know. So for me, as you guys will know, I am an absolute just obsessive chef. I absolutely love cooking. If I can spend six hours preparing an evening meal, that makes me a very, very happy boy. But we're not all the same. So, you know, some of these things, I just enjoy all of these things. I love doing them. I love the process. Some of these things will be a little bit too much for other people to enjoy. So don't put yourself under any pressure. It's not about that. It's about what I'm trying to do is just 
open up some ways, some thoughts that you might not have considered, just some ways that you could be a little bit more self-sufficient if that is your bent, if that's what you want to do. So give it some thought and start planning and think about what you might be able to do to give yourself that little extra reward at Christmas when you sit down to that dinner and uh, you can turn to your friends and family around you and say oh by the way I made that and uh, that really is a great feeling a really warming feeling right that's going to wrap this episode up it's going to be my interview with Alan on Wednesday followed on Friday by another giveaway to our patrons so if you are an active current patron on Friday, I'll be doing the draw sometime between now and then. You will have a chance to win some amazing fermenting lids, special lids that you screw on the top of your kilner jar for fermenting things. And uh, I've got a pack of these brand new in the box. I bought too many, basically, and uh, I'm going to be giving one away to a patron on Friday. So please do tune in for that. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I will speak to you really soon. Cheers. This episode of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast was brought to you by our patrons. You guys are awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. The easiest of which is just to like and review it wherever you get our podcasts. You can also tell somebody about it, whether that's on social media or just face-to-face with a friend who you think might benefit from it. But however you support our podcast, we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a patron, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, it's listeners like you that make all of this possible. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll speak to you really soon.